Welcome everyone to Sunday service this morning. My name is Nayaswami Durga. This is Nayaswami Anandi. We're very, very happy to be with you. We welcome all guests and visitors this weekend. I'm going to start this part with a reading from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. This week's topic, Who are the True Christians? If you've ever been in doubt, you are about to find out. (laughs) Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ said in chapter 10 of the Gospel of St. John, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Many Christians, not surprisingly, quote this saying in condemnation of other spiritual teachers, not only the Old Testament prophets, but also Buddha, Krishna, and others who lived before Jesus, as well as, by inference, any who came after him. Yet Jesus himself said in St. Matthew chapter 5, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Nowhere do we find Jesus condemning or even gently criticizing other spiritual masters. His criticisms were reserved for worldly attitudes and for those hypocritical Pharisees who had allowed religion to become for them a pretense. Paramahansa Yogananda explained that the expression, all that ever came before me, referred to those spiritual teachers who placed their egos and their self-importance ahead of the Christ consciousness, in the sense of drawing people's devotion to themselves and not offering it where alone it truly belongs to God. Yogananda himself was very firm in this regard. For example, he never spoke of anyone as his disciple. Instead, he always insisted, they are God's disciples. God is the guru, not I. Ego is a way station on the soul's journey toward enlightenment. The soul is first trapped in lower bodily forms. Slowly it evolves to the human level, at which point self-consciousness appears. Only in human form can self-consciousness transcend material form altogether, including the lower identity of ego consciousness, and discover the true divine self within. Self-consciousness manifested as ego is an incentive to deliberate self-development. Later in this process of development, however, the ego becomes an obstruction. Inevitably, new spiritual aspirants do not emerge effortlessly from the vortex of ego consciousness. Desire must be offered up resolutely and ever more wholeheartedly on the altar of infinity. It is a gradual process, and few even among those who seek to help others are free of ego. If, however, their motive in teaching is not to serve but to be served, they deserve a severe reprimand as Jesus gave them. For their direction of development is no longer upward but downward. 
In the name of giving up desires, they are creating new ones. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, in the third chapter, desire obscures even the wisdom of the wise. Their relentless foe it is, a flame never quenched. Intellect, mind, and senses. These combined are referred to as the seat of desire. Desire, through them, deludes and eclipses the discrimination of the embodied soul. O Arjuna, discipline your senses, and having done so, work to destroy desire, annihilator of wisdom and of self-realization. Give God the credit for everything you do. See him as the true doer. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. <clears throat> oh, oh, oh. Good morning. I do want to welcome you and say what a joy it is to be here. Since this morning's reading is about uh, kind of the interplay between the small self and realization in Christ consciousness, I thought I'd like to share part uh, from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's poem, Samadhi, not the whole poem, it's a very long poem, but just the last few lines of it, where he describes what it feels like when the soul is completely free in God. From joy I came, for joy I live, in sacred joy I melt. Ocean of mind, I drink all creation's waves, four veils of solid, liquid, vapor, light, lift aright. Myself in everything enters the great myself. Gone forever, fitful, flickering shadows of mortal memory. Spotless is my mental sky, below, ahead, and high above. Eternity and I, one united ray, a tiny bubble of laughter. I am become the sea of mirth itself. Well, this morning's topic has many ways of picking it up. Uh, the topic is called, Who are True Christians? And as Dorga read, uh, Jesus is talking about the thieves and robbers who stand before the Christ consciousness. We can talk about those misguided teachers who stand before the Christ consciousness, but for most of us here who have found a true teaching, the real thief and robber is not anybody else. It's our own egos stepping in front of spirit, taking charge, saying, it's me, look at me, um, take care of my little self. In the mid-1980s, 
Swami Kriyananda's mother died in the Bay Area, and a group of people from Ananda went down to the funeral with her. It was Episcopalian service. And perhaps because there was a large group of people with Swami Kriyananda, the priest uh, felt that when he called people forward for communion, he should maybe give a little description about who those people were that were eligible as uh, good Christians. And so he, he put out a little kind of, you know, you can come forward if sort of a thing. And so Swami went forward and some from the group went forward and some from the group felt, well, we didn't fit the category and so they hung back. And afterward, Swami called the group together and he said, never let anyone define for you what it means to be a Christian. Okay? That's our own journey. It's not about churches. It's about the journey of the soul toward God. The Christ consciousness lives in every single person. It lives here at the spiritual eye. And the Christians are those who are devoted to realizing that consciousness through their love for God, through their meditation, through their service and attunement. It's a, a personal journey that each of us are on. Well, a lot of people from Ananda learned that lesson very well through that experience, which Swami also shared with us at, at Sunday service afterwards. And so in the late 80s, we took a, um, a couple of different years, we went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, which I was able to do in 1986, and I have to say, we're doing it again in 2015, and if you have the chance to go, you should take it. It's an amazing experience. I didn't go in uh, 87, but my husband did, and he told me this story. Um, the group had gotten to a place called the Chapel of the Shepherd's Grotto, where the angels came to wake the shepherds up and tell them to go see the Christ. But there was a sign on the door that said that it was closed because there was a Catholic communion. But of course, that didn't stop our group. So, <laughs> so they went in. With a lot of devotion, they really wanted to be in that chapel, and of course, communion, that's a wonderful holy thing, they wanted to be there for that too. But they didn't really know any, there were no Catholics in the group except for Mary Kretzman. So, <laughs> the chapel is small, and everybody there tried to watch Mary and do the responses, you know, the right way. And, uh, they, some of them couldn't get a good view of her, and so we were always like, you know, they were always like a, a few beats off. <laughs> and the priest was watching them, and he, he could see that they were sincere, he could see that they were enthusiastic, and he could also see they weren't Catholic. <laughs> but he went through the whole thing, and he, you know, kind of went along with the whole, all of us, all of that group participating, and then afterwards he very kindly came up to our group, and he said, are you even Christian? <laughs> and they assured him, yes. Yes, we are Christian. So anyway, but just entering into one of the things that we do is take people on pilgrimages to shrines of every sort and have them feel God coming in so many ways. So we're on this journey to self-realization, to the Christ consciousness that lives within us. And what have we got to deal with? We have to deal with our own ego stepping forward and saying, look how well you did that. Look how poorly you did that. Oh, people aren't noticing you. Um, and so we have to work our way around that. 
Swami wrote an amazing book called Sadhu Beware. Um, I meant to bring it, I forgot. It's, uh, it's like a handbook on how to get rid of your ego. And there's a chapter in it that especially is about transcending the ego. It has about 30 different things you can do, and they're very, very practical. You know, when you've had a great idea and somebody else brings up the great idea and everybody gives them credit for it, you know, do you try to artfully bring the conversation around so that it's clear that the idea came from you? Or do you just happily say, oh, good, the idea is a good one and we can instrument it, you know? So there are lots of different things like that of just paying attention. And I think we can pay attention in a very simple way if we're coming from ego or not coming from ego. If we're in pain, we're coming from ego. If our feelings are hurt, if we feel ignored, if we think we're a bad person, or actually if we think we're really a good person but maybe not everybody is fully noticing that, <laughs> um, all those little squeezing things, that's the voice of the ego. And no matter how you try to justify it with but it's the truth, but I want to be, you know, whatever. It's always that little crimping part of ourselves that says, think about me, don't think about me. And we're trying to break out of that. That ego consciousness lives at the back of the brain. And it's in the, it lives in our medulla oblongata. So sometimes we can even feel a little tension back there. But I was thinking, and Dr. Peters here, my, my brain training person, that in our brain we have on the one hand the ego at the back saying it's all about me, and somewhat before that we have something called the limbic system, which relates very much to the fact that we are caught in this body. Because I'm caught in this body, I can be fearful, I can be anxious, I can be angry when I don't get my way. I can um, get depressed. These are all things that live in the limbic system. So whether we're being caught by our ego or by our limbic system, the answer is the same. We bring our consciousness forward to the spiritual eye, to the Christ consciousness center, where we live in a place that is expanded. Christ Consciousness Center is in all of us right now. It's just our choice. Master said, and I've been really trying to tune into this a lot lately, he said, if you think you're free, you're free. If you think you're bound, you're bound. Whoa, that's, it bears some serious meditating to just move our energy forward and embrace our freedom that is within us always. Swami was always very aware in his role of spiritual teacher of that he, he wanted to always be sure he was helping people move in the right direction, not doing things that would make them feel small, whether it was praise, whether it was blame, whatever it was, he was very, very conscious of that. One time I had to deliver something to his apartment, and Jyotish and Devi, uh, they are the spiritual directors here, for those of you who don't know, were there. And I came in and, and uh, gave him this package, and Devi said, oh, did you see the painting that J Jyotish just, Jyotish is a painter, just painted for Swami? He showed it to me, and I said, oh, that's beautiful. And instantly, 
Swami said, and did you see the painting that I just bought on my trip? And it was in the back of the room, and, and it was also very beautiful. And it, it was, didn't take a real genius to figure out what he was trying to do there. He didn't want Jyotish to be limited in any way by thinking that he was a painter or that he was a good painter or that this was a beautiful painting. He was trying to break him free of anything that limited him. We were reading a book here uh, years ago uh, by a couple of women who are sisters, black women, who were over 100 years old. And a wonderful book. And Durga um, was giving, lending this book to um, Nayaswami Dhyana, who's our minister in India now. Dhyana is also black. And so Durga, with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, said, here, Dhyana, this is about your people. And Swami just, he was in the room, he just wheeled around. <laughs> and he, he looked at Dhyana very seriously. And he said, who are your people? You're not black, you're not white, you're not female, none of that. No age, nothing. Not to be bound by any of it. So we're trying to move on this journey to the Christ consciousness. And part of it has to do with what Swami says, be ego detectives, pay attention to when you're trying to, no matter how artfully you think you're doing it, trying to push yourself a little forward for public view. Uh, and when you are just saying, I'm happy to be ignored, to be thinking of God. And, and so paying attention to that. So on the one hand, we want to be ego detectives. We want to be prying that ego loose and freeing ourselves from it. But we can't do that without also focusing on the Christ consciousness, on the presence of God within us. Because it's there that we know that this is so much more appealing. Why do I care about this little ego with its hurt feelings when I'm really divine joy, when I'm really divine peace and light? That's where I want to be. I don't want to be limited by anything. So we try to find that in meditation, and we try to live it in everything that we do. I was told a story by one of our members that really it touched me very much on a lot of levels, and I want to share it. Most of you here know Premi, who, before she came to Ananda, lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and she was part of a group called Med Mob. And Med Mob, Med Mob is a group that was organized by a man from Inspiration to get people all over the country, maybe all over the world, I don't know, to do these meditations where they would meditate, like in City Hall or other places of importance. And all they would do is go and sit and meditate and share vibrations of peace, just sharing good vibrations. And so Premi organized one of these med mobs for City Hall in Atlanta, and her group had been sitting there for about 40 minutes. It, you know, They'd called up, reserved the place, and they were meditating there. It was very nice and peaceful. And then she heard this loud, angry voices, lots of them. And uh, the policeman came over to her. It turned out, coincidentally, that that day there was going to be an execution of a man who many people thought was unfairly charged, and there was a lot of anger around it. Um, and they were protesting his execution right at the same time. 
And so the policeman comes over, you know, um, Frammy is meditating, he comes over and says, you know, you reserve this space. What about this group? What do you want? Uh, what should I tell them? You know, you have the space. And she said, just let them come. And so this, you know, loud, rowdy group comes up, and the policeman tells them, you know, it's okay, you can come. But they're a little not sure what to do. These people are meditating. Premi opens her eyes in a very friendly way, motions them to them. And this group, which moments before had been yelling and shouting and all this, they join hands, holding hands around the meditators, and they stand there for the last 10 minutes of the meditation, totally still. And then the group finishes meditating, they finish their assigned meditation, they get up and leave, and then the protesters begin singing. And it all in all was just a beautiful experience of the power of meditation, but it also was an experience of Premi's own ability to live from meditation and to not worry about what might happen, but to say, no, this is in God, everything's going to be fine, and just in a very open and expansive way to flow with that. On Friday, we had a class, a very fun class, actually, and one of the questions that came up was, what about worry? The worries of the ego. What about worry? Isn't, you know, isn't there sometimes that worry is kind of called for? And uh, one of the... (laughs) One of the women in the group said that her mother was a, a confirmed worrier. But her mother also had a sense of humor. And what her, what her mother said was, you know, 90% of the things that we worry about never happen. And that goes to prove that worrying is an effective preventative medicine. <laughs> Who could argue with that? <laughs> but we're trying to get free of all those small things and get into this flow. Master was asked the question, what is the difference between a guru and his disciples? And he said, truly the guru and the disciple are made of the same ocean of spirit. They're waves on the ocean of the divine. Some waves are higher than other waves. The wave of the person in God consciousness, the guru, never wants to be separate from the ocean. He sees himself as just a bulge of the ocean. The guru wave is the very small rise of the ocean. The ego wants to be noticed. The ego reaches up high, makes a lot of splashing and white foam, and then what happens? It's crashing down. The ego is very vulnerable. It goes up, but then it comes down. We're trying to live in that connection with the spirit that is close, where we don't feel like I have to prove to the world that I'm the best. How can I stay connected to God? Uh, Yogananda's most advanced disciple, Rajasika Janakananda, he, he was that type of disciple that was highly evolved, and he never wanted to be far from the consciousness of the guru. He rarely spoke because he was always feeling master's vibration. He was always staying connected to the vibration inside of him. 
one of the young monks, a man named Leo Cox, who was with Swami as a, as a young disciple there, told the story that when he would go to public functions, he would go up to Master for a blessing. This happened many times, I guess. Go up to Master for a blessing, receive a blessing from his guru, and then Master would say, now go to Rajasi for a blessing. And Rajasi would be somewhere across the garden or across the yard or whatever, and he would have a group of about 15 people around him, maybe two or three deep. And Leo would very humbly approach, very quiet. As soon as he got near Rajasi, Rajasi would stop talking to everyone else, come forward and bless him. Why? Because he knew that's what Master wanted him to do. He felt it. He knew it from his own inner quietness. He, um, they told a story that one time there was a, a dinner party or a big function, a big banquet for all the disciples. And at the end, Master said to Rajasi, Rajasi, stand up and speak. And his first response was, oh, no, Master, you're so much better than I am. And the instant he said that, he went, he just stood up because he realized that his guru had asked him something and he'd said no. He stood up instantly and he went forward to speak. And this is what he said. He said, I have the Christ consciousness. No one needs to tell me about it. I experience it. He said, when the ego steps out, God steps in. When the ego steps in, God steps out. So we're looking for that place where we can, through our own experience of the inner presence of God and through our own discipline of the ego, we can experience that freedom of limitation that allows us to know the Christ consciousness is ours already. Sister Yanamata, who was also one of Master's great and highly evolved disciples, put it very simply. She wrote a letter to one of the disciples and she said, one answer will cover all your questions. Turn your mind to God and absorb your mind in thinking of God's perfection. Dissolve the thought of your own weakness in the worshipful thought of God's strength. Of course we're weak. It's a given. But we don't have to think about it. We don't have to fight against it. We don't have to uh, try to prove to others that it's not true. It's there, but we don't have to focus on it. All we have to focus on is the presence of God, the perfection of God, and let our littleness disappear in this overpowering connection with God. Let's meditate on that for just a couple moments.